Well, hello, everybody. This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Gosh, as I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a really, really splendid whenever the heck it is you're listening, because you deserve it. Me? I'm not sure if I do deserve it. I, I've got some stuff that I'm going through lately, and well, this seems like a forum where I can share it with you, my, my closest of friends. I think I'm developing a problem. Um, it's awkward to talk about, but it used to be I would just listen to Anti Up by MOP maybe once a week, twice a week tops. I'm now listening to that song on repeat like maybe three, four times a day, sometimes six. I have to listen to it to wake up in the morning. I'm not sure what about the song it is that appeals to me so much. I mean, it's awesome, so there's that. But I think partly it reminds me of the movie You Got Served, which is amazing. And when people mix that movie up with either the Bring It On franchise, which is about cheerleaders, or the Step Up movies, which are not You Got Served, it makes me legitimately furious because they're very, very different. But back to the important subject matter at hand, which is my perhaps addiction to the song Anti Up by M.O.P. Partly it makes me happy because at the very beginning it sounds like it's going to be John Cena's theme music, and then it isn't, and then I'm happy about that. Although John Cena's theme music is also pretty good. I believe the producer Jake One had a hand in both songs. But I think the thing that I like best about the music is... I'm just tired of people being so goddamn stingy with their diamonds. Nobody ever gives me their diamonds. Get up off of those diamonds. Ante up. In summation, ante up. Also, it takes a surprising pro-kidnapping stance, which, eh, you know what? Fair point. It is a good way to get big money. But enough of this malarkey. Let's get on to some different malarkey. Without any further ado, let's... Uh, do this. And it looks like I'm out of synopsis rhymes people have submitted. It's the first time this has happened in a while, so I'm gonna have to make one up. Um, the janitor skinned his journal to make new moleskin mop grips. Maybe he can clean up the mess that's this week's synopsis. Synopsis. Oh, boy. You guys send me in some, so we don't have to do that again. Tales of the New Teen Titans, number four, September 1982, Starfire, written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Ernie Cologne, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, Robin, Cyborg, Raven, Beast Boy, but mostly... Starfire. Previously in Tales of the New Teen Titans. It's been an awfully busy indeterminate amount of comic book time for the Teen Titans. After foiling interstellar invaders, extra-dimensional despotic douche dads, international terrorists, terrible acronym having secret cabals, a super-powered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, a legion of lecherous literal Greek gods, and a quintet of supervillains whose name would suggest that they were an old-school rap group, the gang decided to take a long weekend off from superheroing. Hooray! 
the titular teenagers headed off to a camping trip to the Grand Canyon for some team-building exercises, cookouts, and exposition dumps about their respective backstories that plant the seeds for future storylines. Hooray! First up to stare off into the middle distance and reminisce about the bad old days was Cyborg. The takeaways of Vic's story were, he had a sheltered childhood and was a child prodigy, but preferred sports. He fought with his parents, his friend Ron was in a gang, racism doesn't exist, and anger is bad. Somewhere in there, a fart monster ate most of his body, his dad roboted him up, and he maybe probably killed his buddy Ron when Ron tried to blow up the UN. Next up for some out loud introspection. Outrospection? was the enigmatic Raven. When Raven reluctantly shared her tale of woe, we learned that Raven's Mamorella was a wayward teen who got mixed up in some Rosemary's Baby bullshit that culminated in her getting knocked up by a jerkhole demon named Trigon. Some beardo weirdos yoinked Arella off to a mystical paradise called Azeroth, which is where Raven was born. Her birth wrecked the joint and made it smell like farts. She was raised by a 300-year-old magical lady named Azar who told her that she always had to suppress her emotions except for being generally bummed out. Her dad came back and tossed a big chunk of his evil into her soul. And if she ever has feelings, her evil bad dad might crawl out of her soul and wreck the universe. The next conductor of the Exposition Express was Beast Boy. All aboard! Between repeatedly burning his hot dogs and objectifying his teammates, the Emerald Adolescent somehow found time to share the information that... As a green preteen, he was orphaned by at least two sets of parents, was briefly adopted by an evil foster father, joined Doom Patrol, joined the short-lived Teen Titans West, had a failed acting career, dated a girl, and one time his evil former foster father put on a suit of high-tech armor and Beast Boy beat him the fuck up. Also, anger is bad. Good to know! When Gar finished with his unreliably narrated nostalgia, Starfire stared off wistfully into the middle distance and thought that all this reminiscing put her in the mood to reminisce. Gadzooks! Will our orange-skinned ingenue be the next to take a therapeutic traipse down past trauma trail? Will it finally be revealed that Coriander and her sister Commander have a brother named Colander? And will Starfire's story also contain the shoehorned immoral that anger is bad? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Of course she will. Sadly, no, but we do find out that her dad's name is Meander. So, at least there's that. And, no, but thankfully, Robin is there to go ahead and say it anyway, apropos of nothing, after her tale has concluded. It's a beautiful sunny morning at the Grand Canyon, and the Titans have started packing up to head back to New York. Princess Coriander, a.k.a. Starfire, decides to celebrate the sunny weather by flying high in the air and spinning around a whole bunch until her magical space-fire hairdo looks like one of those hypnotist spirals. It's a pretty neat trick. Everyone seems to be pleased that Coriander is having a nice time. Well, everyone except Beast Boy, who is pleased that he gets to creepily stare at his scantily clad teammate and ogle her. Jerk. When the improbably coiffured Coriander concludes her canyon cloud cartwheels, Raven tells her that she could sense great happiness in the frolicking space princess. Wow, you really are an empath, Raven. You could tell someone was happy while they were frolicking in the sky shouting, Wee! for half an hour? Maybe you should be Robin's mentor, because you are truly the world's greatest detective. Starfire confirms Raven's assertion, and is like, But do you know what makes me really happy? Staring off into the middle distance, and thinking about my super sad backstory, and how much I miss my home planet. Hey Raven, you remember how you said Azeroth was a paradise? Well... Next to Tamaran, Azeroth probably looks like a moldy sack of shit. 
Ha ha ha. I remember it well. And away we go. Tamaran was a tropical paradise of a planet where they were super good at science and frolicked all the time and used their magical space fire hair to fly around and have air sex. They had plenty of resources and there were no wars. They also made all of their decisions using emotions instead of logic, which Coriander says like it was a good thing, but dang, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. Anyway, when Coriander was born, her dad, King Meander, put on his special king helmet and held a big press conference to show off his new baby, taking time to note that she had the same skin color as him, which seems like a weird thing to do. Everyone thought Starfire seemed like a nice baby and was happy for the king. Well, almost everyone. Turns out, Coriander's older sister, Commander, was a totally evil toddler and hated her new sister. It seems that when Commander was born, she was kind of sick at first, and I guess her illness kept her from developing the ability to use her magical space fire to fly. So, everyone decided that she wouldn't be allowed to rule the planet when she grew up. Damn, that is some ableist bullshit right there. And double damn that after deciding at her birth that she was physically unfit to ever command, they went ahead and named the kid Commander anyway. What the fuck, guys? I gotta say, so far I'm kinda on the evil toddler side. The relationship between the Ur sisters started out pretty bad, and Commander's resentment of her younger sister continued to grow. When Coriander was still a baby, she had a pink space puppy named Snar that she totally loved. So Commander murdered the space puppy. And just like that, I'm off of Team Evil Toddler. Hey, remember how I said there was never any war on Tamaran and everyone was super peaceful skyfuckers? Well, scratch that, because it turns out the farty little Godzilla monsters called the Gordanians who lived on a nearby planet were always trying to invade Tamaran and that they'd been at war for a hundred years. Oh no! But it wasn't that big a deal because the Tamaranians, in addition to being super chill people who were always peaceful and had no knowledge of war, were also incredibly fierce warriors who had superior weapons and loved fighting. Huh. I wonder if Marv Wolfman is from Tamaran. Because it kind of feels like this script was written using emotion instead of logic. Anyway, one time the Gordanians tried to invade, and while their parents were off beating the living shit out of the gassy space lizards... Commander beat the living shit out of young Coriander. Shitty. Naturally, their parents responded the way that any parents of children who were fighting with each other would. They sent the children off to be trained in advanced fighting skills on the planet of Okara, where they would be pitted against each other regularly in ritual combat. Naturally. When the Ur sisters arrived on Okara, the Zen space yeti monks who lived there talked about the importance of a balanced education with an emphasis on the humanities and then gave them the standard kung fu speech about how terrible violence is and how killing is wrong. Then they trained them in the arts of war and turned their hands into lethal weapons. Seems like these Okara dudes would fit right in on Tamaran. Ooh, or in a Billy Jack movie. Coriander did great in both her liberal arts and her martial arts studies. Commander, on the other hand, was all like, Fuck these poems and shit, I'm just going to pay attention to the parts about stabbing and punching. Which, all things considered, seems like a pretty pragmatic stance, seeing as the final exam was the students took part in an axe joust while mounted on some pink horse lizards. 
Who knows? Maybe there was also a full contact comparative literature appreciation tournament that got cut from the flashback to save time. In the final joust, Starfire squared off against her sinister sibling. Commander cheated and attacked her sister's lizard horse, killing it. Damn, that girl has a definite issue with pink animals. I wonder if during her gestation, her mother was frightened by a Lisa Frank trapper keeper. Yeah, that's probably it. After slaughtering her sister's steed, the elder princess lassoed her supine sibling and took off at a full gallop, dragging Coriander behind her in an apparent attempt at sororicide. The Okaran proctors noted Commander's transgressions, but were like, well, we could stop this, but I kind of want to see how this whole murder thing plays out. Typical academia. Commander was about to drag her sister off the cliff when Starfire managed to free herself. Hooray! But in the process of liberating herself, the imperiled princess inadvertently sent her psychotic sibling sprawling, tumbling her off the edge of the precipice. Hooray! Realizing that Commander couldn't fly, the selfless Starfire flew into the abyss and rescued her piece-of-shit sister, who repaid her kindness by sucker-punching her savior and whipping out a sword with the apparent intention of decapitating her. At this point, the Okaran overseers finally intervened. The previously placid space yetis blasted the sword out of her hand and told Commander to get the fuck off their planet. She was too big an asshole to stay on their war world. Had she learned nothing from their training program for non-practicing pacifists? Commander told the Space Yetis to fuck off, hopped in her spaceship, which apparently she had, and headed off for parts unknown. Bye, Commander! Hope you don't run into Snagglepuss. Starfire returned to Tamarin, and her folks didn't seem all that bummed out that their flightless evil daughter wasn't with her. Everything was chill for like half a panel, and then whammo. And I don't mean the Frisbee manufacturer. I mean, the Gordanians launched a full-out assault on Tamaran, and this time, the reptilian reprobates managed to pierce the previously impregnable Tamaranian defenses. What gives? Those previously impenetrable defenses were previously impregnable. How'd they get all pregnable? Well, it turns out a certain disgraced evil older sister may have sold her home planet out to its hated enemies. In case I was being too cryptic there, it, it was Commander. Commander sold out her home planet to its hated enemies. The evil space lizards killed the shit out of millions of Tamaranians until King Meander finally acquiesced to their demands. The main demand being that young Starfire be turned over to the invading forces where she would be sold into slavery. Shitty. But to make shitty shittier, the overseer of the newly enslaved princess was none other than the Tamaranian turncoat herself, Princess Commander. So, that sucked. Apparently, the Gordanian slavers rented out their slaves in a series of one-year contracts. At the end of each year, the captive was returned to the evil lizard fucks, and the process continued on ad infinitum. Coriander endured five years of this slavery, each year punctuated by prolonged torture sessions with her older sister. During her fifth-year contract, Coriander managed to kill her temporary master. Hooray! She was returned to the Gordanians and commander who was delighted at the opportunity to kill her sister for insubordination. So, maybe not so hooray. But, before the traitorous crumbum, yeah, I said it, crumbum, got the chance to execute the, well, execution, the Gordanian ship was attacked and boarded by the evil space lizard's most hated and feared enemies. Some other evil space lizards. 
The new evil space lizards were a species called the Scions. The Scions were dispassionate, logical, and apparently sadists. Kind of like Christopher Guest's character from The Princess Bride. The sci-fi sadists torture-killed all the Gordanians. Eh, I'll give that a hooray. Fuck those guys. Then they strapped the Tamaranian sisters into a different torture device. The little green Count Rugen wannabes explained that they intended to bombard the royal siblings with solar energy. Apparently, sunbeams are what power up the Tamaranians' magic space fire hair, and allow them to fly. So, the Scions decided to see how much of it the sisters could absorb before they died, because, well, pretty much just because they're evil space jerks. The experiment began. At first, it wasn't so bad. Then, it hurt a lot. Then it hurt a whole heck of a lot. Then, something happened. Or rather, a bunch of things happened. A Gordanian fleet surprise attacked the Scion vessel. Surprise! During the attack, something went screwy with the torture machine, and it overloaded with power and exploded. Starfire was freed and found that the accident had given her the ability to shoot magic space lasers out of her fists. Cool. The newly superpowered space princess used her newfound powers to free her sister. You know, the sister who had repeatedly tried to kill her and tortured her and sold her into slavery and murdered her space puppy. Yeah, that sister. Damn it, Coriander! I mean, there's altruism and then there's... that thing you just did. And that thing you just did definitely falls in the latter category. As soon as she was free, Commander used her new magic space laser punches to punch the living shit out of Starfire. Because of course she did! Commander returned her sister to the nearest farty space Godzilla ship. Fortunately, the next day, Starfire managed to escape by seducing one of the guards and then space laser punching a nine-inch hole through his chest. Hooray! The resourceful Tamaranian princess stole a shuttle and blasted off, eventually ending up on Earth, which led directly into the events of the new Teen Titans number one. Hooray! When she finished her story, Coriander revealed that she's still pretty pissed off at her sister. Yeah, I would imagine so. Robin interrupts her and is like, hey, 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 don't be angry. Anger is bad. Friendship is good. Uh, okay. No, you know what? Actually, not okay. Because despite what this entire miniseries keeps telling us, there are things that it is okay to be angry about. And I think that being repeatedly tortured, betrayed, and sold into slavery by your sister is pretty definitively one of those things. But yes, Robin, friendship is nice. Wally surprises the Titans by busting out a bottle of champagne for everyone. Well, everyone but Beast Boy, who is only 16, and Raven, who I guess doesn't drink on account of that might make her feel a feeling and then her extra-dimensional douchebag dad might crawl out of her soul tummy and destroy the world. Fair enough. She has a Perrier, and Gar has a cola. Robin makes a nice toast about how he really likes all the other Titans, and is glad that he got the opportunity to know them all better, not just as teammates, but as friends. They all cheers and toast to friendship. Aww. Then the alcohol-addled adolescents pile into their jet plane, presumably to drunk drive back to New York. And, as you may have heard on the news through a series of hilarious misadventures, Corey has unfortunately embroiled himself in the midst of a war between the Slug Warriors of Antares 47 and the Salt-Wielding Shield Maidens of Enargo. You've probably seen all about that on the news. I'm sure he'll be fine by next week. 
But in his stead, we are joined by my good for all things wife, Lisa. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm a little sleepy, but I'll make it more fun. Okay, let's test that theory. <laughs> so, what'd you think? I thought it was really good. Um, it wasn't like my favorite, but it was pleasant, and the art was nice, and it was a story about a woman with a psychopathic sister. Fair enough. I think we all know how difficult it is to have a psychopath for a sibling. <laughs> I uh, know Corey is gone right now, but, <laughs> but do you really need to say that? Yes. As you mentioned, Corey's gone right now. I'm finally free to discuss the horrific abuse I constantly suffer at his hands. Because he doesn't listen to these, and he also isn't on Twitter. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm kidding. If by any chance you do happen to listen to this, Corey, I love you very much and you're a good brother. I will also say you're not a psychopath. Well, I didn't say that. So, you said it's your favorite of the four that we've covered so far? I think so, yeah. Yeah. What did you like about it as opposed to the others? Uh, I thought the story was kind of linear, but also fleshed out some emotional things with Starfire. I really liked the art. Hmm. Um, The art did a lot of work for me. I thought some things were problematic for sure, but it was straightforward and she seemed pretty likable. Yeah, I think for the most part. It is interesting to me. I I think you're right. In some ways, this story worked better than the others. Certainly better than the Beast Boy one in terms of there's a reason to tell this story Mm -hmm. for the rest of the series. With Beast Boy, I felt like it was like, well, we wanted to have four of these. And the other characters were introduced for this series and hadn't really gotten much of their origin told before other than in very loose terms. With this one, I think this story led right into a Teen Titans arc that led with her going to war with her sister and all of those things. So it was like, it seemed like of the series, this is the story that he really wanted to tell and needed a venue for. I had some issues with it, certainly. What were your issues with the issue? Well, I think that honestly, it's less blatantly spelled out. Princess Coriander is, in some ways, it seems as unreliable a narrator as Gar was. She keeps talking about how idyllic her homeworld was. And it's like, yeah, I guess it probably did seem pretty great if you were, like, totally top dog there, which she was when she was younger. Like, this, I, I don't know why anybody would have a problem with our beautiful utopian society that was a rigidly defined caste system, which I just happened to be at the very top of. Do you find out from other books that it's a rigidly designed caste system, or defined caste system? No, but I think there are hints in this book at that. She talks about how only the children of the nobility and the uh, offspring of chieftains get to go train on Okara, which her sister says, she said that these were the dregs, but these were the very best our society had to offer, the Uh, children of chiefs and... I didn't think it was their society. I thought it was, like, their solar system. So, like, Tamaran itself is this utopian place... And the this solar system are the people that they're on the flight with. Huh. So it wasn't about... And, like, they're all different races. Okay. I guess yeah. I misread that. Yeah. The other thing... I mean, like, I understand kind of where you would get hints from hints of that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're really sensing is, like, the weird tension that exists in comic books. And this is something I kind of wanted to get into at some point. But, like, how do we... How do we make fighting good? I think that's part of it. Yeah, that was something that I did also pick up on. But there is also the fact that her daughter is born sickly. So they decide at birth that she's unfit to be the leader. And that, you know, she doesn't have any problem with that. 
She's like, yeah, I mean, that's our system and it's totally fair. Well, she couldn't fly. I mean, that seemed like kind of a big deal. Yeah. She couldn't use her hair to fly. Yeah, but she has powerful fists. Kind of. I mean, they get more powerful as soon as she's exposed to too much sunlight. Yeah. But even before then, there's this one scene I... where she's a toddler where she just looks at her fist and his fist and is delighted. And uh, I, I did kind of enjoy that. I don't know. But there's also this, when she's describing her home planet, she's describing it as this wonderful place, but in terms that don't really make any sense. She says that, we designed our fortresses for peace. We had no reason for war. Oh, also, we were at constant war. It's like, oh, so did you just design your palaces badly? Yeah, it was, I mean, that's, again, it's the tension of how is fighting good? Like, how is a peaceful people allowed to have this tension within them? It's because there's a threat from the outside that needs to be countered. Right, but a big part of her character, and it seems like her people's character, is this almost like berserker rage that they fight with and always have. Yeah, it it was just kind of weird. I think it's just a weird cop-out, you know? Like, you can't have a utopian society ruled by all passion and love, and... (laughs) I am certainly in favor of passion, but I do not think it should be the basis of a government. (laughs) Oh, baby, your New England is showing. (laughs) It does that on occasion. (laughs) As she was talking, I was like, oh, this doesn't really make sense. And like, I almost expected it like in the last issue where Gar was saying something is like, that doesn't sound right. And then it would show that the opposite was happening. Like there's this part where I think Raven asks her like, did your parents not show her oh. love? Did they not favor her? And she's like, no, no, they were they were wonderful to her. They didn't favor me at all. It's like, well, yeah, except for the part where from the time you were born, you were the younger daughter and you were always told that you would be the leader and you were the one who was the princess. Mm-hmm. Well, she actually asked if they loved her. Well, okay, was she unloved? Did your parents favor you over her? Mm-hmm. And of course they favored her, but she's like, no, they loved us both. But eventually it became un- impossible to love her. Yeah, and also she doesn't say anything about being favored. So I think it, it does, I, I didn't really pick up on that, but you're right. There's definitely a sense that she's unable to empathize or really understand the treatment of her sister at an early age. Yeah, and I found myself sympathizing well, it, I mean, it, it ended real quick, but like I found myself wanting to sympathize with Princess Commander. But she does kill a puppy pretty as early in the story, which makes it kind of more difficult. As Stephen King said, you kill a kid or a dog and America hates you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair, both as a policy and as a statement. <laughs> I think that Princess Coriander and Commander's parents kind of suck. Yeah? Yeah. First clue to that, you have a baby that from birth you decide is unfit to lead your people and will not be the inherited ruler of your country. What do you name her? Commander. (laughs) Dick move! Fair. (laughs) Like, was that just to be funny? I don't think they have a sense of humor. Uh, Starfire does. She mm-hmm. made that uh, that hot dog joke in the previous issue. You're never going to forget that hot dog joke, are you? No, it was a good hot dog joke. It was a great hot dog joke. Although, I will say, I think it's funny that her dad is named Meander. <laughs> Another kind of interesting thing, they talk about how much their country is ruled not by logic, but by emotion and passion. 
which again it sounds horrifying to me as, oh, a, as a system of government i love you i know i love you too but let's not base our country's <laughs> decisions on that but it did strike me as funny in light of when his second daughter is born and he holds the i guess press conference slash baptism mm-hmm. he holds her up and is like and she has beautiful green eyes like her mother and her skin color is golden like both of us it's like oh is this like your way of saying like pretty sure this kid's mine <laughs> <laughs> maybe they do have a tradition there you know yeah it seems odd to make a proud announcement of your of new paternity. child <laughs> paternity or racial identity or what, whatever yeah. it is that it's yeah. just like it seems very odd to like mention your child's skin color during the press conference i don't know it's a different world maybe like sometimes kids come out with green skin and then they like turn into annoying animals and like sexually harass <laughs> everyone and it's a real problem that is a distinct possibility <laughs> You talked a little bit about the dichotomy between they're a peaceful planet who are all fierce warriors. I think some of that may have to do with the Okara training that that solar system's nobility gets because they make a point of, well, we will train you in 15,000 ways to kill each other, but also a good liberal arts education. (laughs) Totally. No, the first year is spent to learning about what we were defending, and then we learn to defend it. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, he really does say, like, just like, we will train you in all of the martial arts, but also a background in humanities, and these things always have to be intertwined. (laughs) It's like, dude, that's some intense fucking training. Well, honestly, it's just really trying to justify my very expensive degree. Is that the is that what you got from Reed? <laughs> I knew about the humanities part. The, the, uh, <laughs> Maybe. You didn't know about my martial arts training? It comes up so rarely. I, I sometimes forget about it. Oh, the many ways that I can kill someone. Yeah, the Okaran leaders also seem to just be like, I don't know, like their attitude of these children are about to murder each other. Let's see how this plays out really really hands off like that is some like next level Montessori shit <laughs> yeah no there was definitely some open free free play education there yeah free range children mm-hmm. always have the most delicious eggs <laughs> just because uh, we're in space that's a distinct possibility and that's upsetting to me <laughs> fair enough <laughs> I also thought there was some kind of funny, like, almost a little bit of back and forth between Starfire and Raven about, like, their backstories. And at one point, I think it's at the beginning, actually, Starfire is like, you described Azeroth as... Oh, yeah. Magnificent. But Tamarind was better. Yeah, pretty much. She's <laughs> Raven, you said Azeroth was magnificent. Well, Tamarind was sheer splendor itself. It's like, yeah, they had some pretty cool animals. But then there's another part where when she talks about after all of the baddies attacked Tamarind, the farty little Godzilla monsters, um, (laughs) she was like, it was horrible. Our world had been so lovely, but now all you could smell was the stench of burning flesh. And I really wanted Raven to come back with, well, Azeroth smelled like farts after I was born. (laughs) We both had nice places that then smelled bad, okay? Nobody has to win. (laughs) (laughs) But you know Starfire, a little bit has to win. Yeah. I felt 
kind of ripped off that Starfire. I really enjoyed the like, and then at night we sit around the campfire and we tell our stories. And we've scheduled this for three nights, so everybody gets one story per night. And oh shit, we're leaving this morning? Uh, Starfire, uh, go, go, tell your story. (laughs) But she was so energized from her time in the sun and her hair flowing and becoming a smoke bomb. What is her hair made out of? Uh, It's made out of magical space fire. Okay. Which makes it even more impressive that her pop can French braid his. (laughs) And French braid his beard, which is presumably made out of magical space fire. Maybe they have, like, magical hair ties. (laughs) They have some, some, like, mystic dread and puissant scrunchies. I'm really into that, actually. (laughs) It's, like, the best explanation I can imagine. Yeah, no, her her hair is fucking, especially in the the opening panel where it's like making the spiral, Mm -hmm. like the the hypnotist spiral, while she's just apparently just been doing loop-de-loops in the sun while Beast Boy ogles her. Sorry. That's okay. But uh, I don't know why I found it jarring and like, just like, oh, this whole thing seems kind of rushed. Like, why doesn't she get a night to tell her story and then they pack up in the morning? Well, they were, they were, like, getting dressed and ready to go when she was telling her story. A fair amount of this story was spent with Robin and Kid Flash getting dressed, which is weird because Kid Flash generally gets dressed instantly by popping his ring out and then running around into it, into his suit, like, at light speed. But in this one, he's just like, eh, fuck it, I'm just, uh, I'm going shirtless most of this issue. They're on vacation. Yeah, that's fair. But Robin took fucking for he took most of... Starfire's story to put his shirt on. Well, you know, they are kind of flirting a little bit. Yeah. So maybe I think he he's... might just be like, oh, I guess I just need to rebutton this tunic. Like, yeah, I think that might be. Yeah, and he wanted to, like, you know, get a little bit of her attention away from her depressing and horribly abusive <laughs> relationship with her sister. Yeah, her with her sister and with much of the rest of her solar system, too. Yeah, jeez. She went through some shit, man. Yeah, it like, was, the art made me, like, it hinted at some pretty dark stuff. It did. It definitely hinted that during her years of slavery, uh, her five years of slavery, which were during her teenage years, I think from like 14 to 19, something like that. It definitely hinted that there had been some sexual abuse going on during that, which I don't think it handled it that badly. No, not for what it was, but it was still like it, it's a it's definitely jarring to to read that and see it pretty. I, I mean, we both there. picked up yeah, on yeah. it. It's there. What I think works about that is that it doesn't like to present that as being part of her backstory and then have her be the character that she is. Where at this point in the comic book and in continuing to go forward, she is presented as like still a very positive and naive and innocent character Mm -hmm. which is the sort of thing where this type of thing it's there's not a victim blamingness to it which i think you would get in a lot of fiction and you still kind of do or there's not also the idea that these events broke her or somehow made her like the 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 loss of innocence in some way um caused her to caused a loss of innocence you know yeah in certain ways and this is a really odd parallel to draw it reminded me of kimmy schmidt oh yeah totally like that's kind of it's it's almost unique to have 
that be her background where her character is as naive and innocent ingenue. Yeah. I think that kind of worked in a way that I wasn't expecting. But it is also just jarring and horrifying to, to read about that being her background. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to bring up in relation to that, well, in relation to not just the sexual abuse that I, I think we both picked up on during her years of slavery, but just the the sexualization of Starfire in general. Yeah. And especially troubling when it is her as a younger teen and even as a preteen in this issue. Yeah. And well, the other thing is like she is allowed to be sexualized and like her sister who's evil is not. Just looking at the costuming. Hmm. Like there's this weird thing that I don't know, just the the viewer is supposed to find her sexually appealing and not her sister in the same way. I just thought that was really weird. Yeah, I think the Joan Crawford eyebrows have something to do with that. Oh, totally. They're evil. Yeah, it's weird to see, like, fucking evil eyebrows on a toddler. (laughs) Like, that's another thing that I'm thinking, like, there is some bad, like, some seriously bad parenting. (laughs) They are, like, fucking grooming this kid to be evil. Kid can't do her own eyebrows like that when she's a fucking toddler. She's what, like two or three when when Princess Coriander's born? And those things are fucking manicured and in a distinctly evil setup. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Evil eyebrows on a toddler. Maybe maybe that's like how you become a psychopath, though, in in Tamarind. Tamarind, what? How do you say it? Tamarind. Tamarind. Tamarind is the spice. I, that's why I was getting confused. I didn't but also was coriander a... is a spice. So, <laughs> so confusing. Yes. But maybe that's how they, they you know that they're, they're sick, is that they have psychotic eyebrows. Oh. Oh, so like maybe it was like some kind of like a like targeted alopecia that she was suffering from as a child. Yep. And that it just made her eyebrows grow in the evil direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. And that's how they know that she could never fly and never lead a country. That and that darker hair. Mm, yeah, good point. That and, I mean, I think it makes sense that if, if Tamaran is perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Tamaran is the paradise that they are portraying it as and they always let the younger sibling uh, run things. Younger siblings are better. I mean, empirically, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can fly. You can fly too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't a weak child. <laughs> My eyebrows were fucking adorable. <laughs> yeah. They were great. So, uh, scions are a bunch of dicks. Yeah, what did I thought that was interesting. What did you get from that? Well, I had read about the scions before, because I read the issues that follow this, where there's the war oh, between right, 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 Princess right, Commander right. and Princess Coriander. Yeah, so it's weird for me when logic is set up as evil as opposed to emotion like which is kind of the setup with the scions i don't know what did you think that was my takeaway is the the idea that intellect and intellectual curiosity without any compassion is uh, more evil than selfish cruelty yeah Uh, and you know it really i don't think the foil is the evil farty godzilla monsters right i think the foil is the Tamaranians. 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 Yeah. Tamarangatangs. Yeah, those guys. The golden skin, green eyed folks. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. that is kind of the case. It's funny in the follow up issues, the scions in this are like normal sized dudes. And they start off like looking like pretty beefy and like their spacesuits and shit. In the follow up ones, they're these little runty 
dudes. And even as this issue goes on, they kind of get smaller in their depiction and scrawnier. It's just kind of interesting to note that that's kind of the depiction, I think, of, of science intellect. and yeah, intellect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they seem like a bunch of dickbags. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't I don't like them. There was one thing where two heads are leaning in together and it's like, hmm, looks like they won't die of the torture right away. Yeah, looks like you win our bet. Where I thought they were re- referencing the film Trading Places, the Mortimer, like the bet thing. I had to look it up, but actually Trading Places didn't come out for a year after this. Maybe so. Trading Places was referencing this. Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably that was the case. We're so used to seeing Starfire portrayed as, like I said, like a, an, an innocent or a very straightforward, guileless character. It was weird to see, like, the way that she escaped the Gordanians, that she saw that one of them was, like, leering at her, basically, and was like, hey, let me out of this, and we can totally hook up, and then blasted him through the stomach. Like, like she took his innards out with that Starfire blast. It was like the scene at the end of Commando, where, like, there's a steam pipe coming through the guy's midsection. You haven't seen Commando, have nope, you? Nope, lost on me. Oh, uh, you're missing out. There's a dude who looks like Freddie Mercury who's wearing a mesh shirt that I think is supposed to be chainmail, but uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger shoves a steam pipe through his tummy and uh, kills him. That sounds very violent. Not really. Anyway, uh, what did you think of Starfire's escape? It made sense to me. Like, honestly, that at that point, I was just like, oh, this is just her desperation. Yeah. And as she kind of has learned to hate these people and also learned to um, deceive in the time that she was been a slave. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. But that it's not part of her character going forward. Like, well, she I... doesn't really tend to display that. That was why I was saying in the previous issue, like, her even making the joke with uh, Beast Boy about the hot dogs. It's just like, oh, this is a new twist on the character. I can actually explain that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so when she's talking about when we have the splash page where she's being tortured and she's going through her, her five years of slavery, mm-hmm. um, she says, I try not to think about it, but sometimes at night I cannot help it. The tortures and the degradations, those are best forgotten. And that's it. That's how you deal with it. You forget about it. Ah. So that's, she just basically reverted to her previous self after she escaped. Huh. She just like kind of compartmentalized all of that shit again bizarrely kind of like kimmy schmidt Mm -hmm. that's weird i wonder if that show was inspired (laughs) by this issue by this issue (laughs) probably this is a real cultural touchstone apparently what is it that joseph campbell said there's there's only one story and it's the story of starfire told over and over again (laughs) yeah that was that was exactly what he said no there's two there's that and a stranger comes to town those are the those are the two stories There's also something that we talked really briefly about the Scions, and this is just a brief note, but they refer to the Tamaranians as humans. Yeah, I was wondering if they are humans. Are they humans? I don't think so. I think they're Tamaranians. Maybe the Scions are just, like, so otherworldly and, like, high above it all that they class, you know, people who look like Starfire as humans. If they're so intellectual and above it, wouldn't they have, like, more specific categories of, like... Like the Borg. Taxonomy? <laughs> yeah. Like, shouldn't they be, like, species 18724? That'd be cool. Yeah. What is species 18724, do you know? Uh, well, let's see. Species 187 is the homicide species. <laughs> uh, and 24 means 
24 hours. So it's the all it's the 24 hours a day homicide species, which Lisa, it's humans. Ah! Dun dun dun! The most dangerous game. If I ever, as a human, am a representative of our species and I have to try to intimidate other species in some kind of like a gladiatorial game type situation, I'm definitely going to take the most dangerous game nickname for humanity. You know that I love the way your mind works because you have thought about that. (laughs) Yeah. You you haven't? No. Man, they spend way too much time on liberal arts and martial arts at Reed and not enough on what are you going to do when you find yourself in some gladiatorial games against other species. I guess you're right. Well, oh. you, can, you can use mine. <laughs> it could be the most dangerous game. This is why we're partnered. Exactly. <laughs> we both have our strengths. Yes. Yours, your deadly hands of kung fu. And mine, good nicknames. <laughs> I told you what my basketball nickname would be, right? Oh, tell me your basketball nickname. No, not if you're going to have that <laughs> attitude about it. Please tell me your basketball nickname. That's better. It would be the Velvet Rope. <laughs> Is that your basketball nickname? I thought that was your boxing nickname. Oh, both. Oh, why What? Why the Velvet Rope Hub? Because you think I'm soft, but if you cross me, you're in trouble. The Velvet Rope. Great nickname. Also, the most dangerous game. <laughs> That's your gladiator nickname. Yeah, yeah. I would bring the velvet rope into it. It would it would it would be a long nickname. It would take forever to embroider and on the back of my robe. <laughs> but I'd still do it. Because I'd have time. Because <laughs> you're a gladiator. Yeah, in this scenario. <laughs> Honestly, this issue felt really straightforward. There wasn't a lot of stuff that I felt confused about or that really gave me pause or, like, meat. It was just like, oh, yeah, this was kind of rough for her and she's got a lot of feelings. And most of it made sense in a way for the most part, except for the whole, like, war peace thing. Yeah, for me, the the war peace thing, that Tamaranian culture, I think her description of it makes sense as someone who left lived most of her life off planet but has memories of it from the like until she was about nine yeah i think that makes sense for her view of that planet and that's kind of what i was getting at with the idea that she is a somewhat unreliable narrator perhaps not in the same way that beast boy was but in a not entirely dissimilar way like i think you have to take that her events are rose colored yeah yeah they're kind of filmed through the like foggy haze of childhood and nostalgia uh, of a place that she might never see again. That hadn't really occurred to me. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. Huh. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know if that was the intent, but that was the way that I decided to read it. Well, it also makes sense. Like, it's just, she's trying to describe this, and it sets up the whole story for the next arc, right? Yeah. So she's trying to describe this place that she lost and what it means. And yeah. It's a really wonderful observation. Yeah. Huh. I'm glad you shared it. Would lizard people even be attracted to a humanoid? Wouldn't we be, like, weird-looking to them just like they're weird-looking to us? Or is it just like, oh, no, everybody wants human females. Um, I think everybody wants human females. But also I think those lizard people are fucked up. Yeah. I, so. I do not care for the Gordanians. They're farty little Godzilla monsters and I'm not a fan. No, they're jerks. They're also slave traders. Yeah. Which, worse than being farty, certainly. <laughs> I think that is a very good observation. Slave trading, more awful than being farty. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Like a lot, Lisa. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. Here to help. (laughs) 
I don't know what they teach you at that college years. <laughs> Rick, would you like to sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you, Rick. So, what would you like to hit on first? Hit on, like Beast Boy on Starfire. Good one. Eh, eh, eh. Let's do sound effects. Okay, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I think there were like two. I caught the same one a couple of times. Scree! You got it. Yep, that was my favorite one because it was the only one. (laughs) Yeah, I think in this comic book we see Scree. It's a sound effect that her space fire punches always use. And this is apparently in this context. It's first time that her space punches make the Scree noise. So... Scree it is. Scree indeed. Did you have a timestamp or a show and tell or both? I had a show and tell. Okay, what was your show and tell? Page 13. I thought, again, I thought the artwork was really good um, and did a lot of work in this issue. I thought it was good. It it works for this issue. It once again has a different inker. Uh, this time it's Ernie Cologne, who I like a lot as an artist. It works for the flashback scenes for me better because he has a style that like the children, like their faces look childish. Mm -hmm. But I think when you get to the the interstitial bits at the Grand Canyon, the faces again look more childlike. Oh, yeah. And so it's a different style. And I liked it. I thought it was good, but it was it's a little bit more cartoonish than we're used to seeing. And in some ways that worked and in some ways it didn't for me. Totally fair. On page, what did I say? Page 13. Uh, it's the rescue of Commander by uh-huh. Starfire. It's where Commander falls off her beast into the chasm when they're fighting in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And Starfire saves her. And I didn't need any of those words. <laughs> what are the words that you didn't? Both beast and Commander fell into the crevasse. I flew in after her. Remember, my sister could not fly, and I was not about to let her die. At least not then. Oh, yes, I was a fool, but I saved her. Yeah, I think that's fair. You're right. The uh, the panels really do a very effective job telling that story in the pictures, and you kind of don't need those words. I also had a show and tell. There, at one point, uh, Beast Boy makes another Darth Vader reference, but I think that's just Beast Boy. And also, it doesn't put a specific timestamp on it because Darth Vader is a reference that has kind of stood the test of time, so that it doesn't really say like, "Oh, he's talking about Darth Vader," then it must be 1982. Mm-hmm. But I decided to go with, it's on page five, and my uh, show and tell is, keep talking, Corey, I'm just putting on my Robin uniform. (laughs) (laughs) And that is like the fourth panel we see him getting dressed in. But that that I thought was a, I thought was kind of a funny show and tell. It is. It's like, yeah, we see that you're still getting dressed. I don't think she was going to stop talking. I also like that he definitely notated that it was his Robin uniform and he wasn't just dressing any old way. Oh, no, no, no. I think he was also maybe calling attention to the fact that it's like, oh, me? Oh, don't worry about me, Starfire. I'm just taking my shirt off. Keep talking. Shirt's off right now. Let's take this little adventure to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? I liked it at the very end where Beast Boy called uh, Cyborg Rust Pot. I thought Rust Pot was a pretty good one. Uh, I had that one written down. The other one that I noted was on page 24. 
It is Starfire doing her space fire tummy removal of the Gordanian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, Dolt! <laughs> Which, ouch. I mean, yeah. The guy is a dolt. But that is a word you almost exclusively see used by villains. And I really enjoyed seeing Starfire say that as she eviscerates uh, her captor. And I thought that was great. He did seem stupid, though. Well, he, he, he was definitely adult. He fell for her ruse. He did. And was adult for doing so and got uh, eviscerated for it. And Yay! good. Hooray! Yay, evisceration. We really are homicidal. <laughs> yeah, whatever. That guy can get eviscerated. I got no problems with that. Guy's a straight up adult. What was your favorite panel? I had a couple. So I don't read as many comic books as you do. So I, I tend to read panel by panel and not necessarily pay attention to the whole page. Mm-hmm. And so I get really excited when I am able to pay attention to the whole page and something clicks for me. Like it makes me feel like I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those moments where you're like, oh, I don't usually do this. And so the the page, page six, is these panels of the war on Tamaran. But it's also, there, it looks like there's smoke in each panel. But if you put them all together, it's Starfire's face. Yeah, it's the flashback of the, it's a six panel grid that's done like through the filter of like a translucent face of Starfire. But it does really just look like it's kind of smoke coming through in each panel. It's it's really nicely done. It's one that I had noted as well. Yeah, I just thought it was so cool. And it just, it was something that, again, like I don't. I always read panel by panel, and it took me on my second read through to see it. And then I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. And just for straight up artwork, I really loved Starfire Space Hair is what I call it. Okay. There's a good example of that on the first page. Oh, no, no, no. I meant like where it's where, where she's talking about how beautiful Tamaran is, where she's like starting her story. Oh, gotcha. Okay. On page three. And it's just like, I, th- I thought it was really pretty. Yeah, it's like a cameo of her, and then in the back of her face it's all like a planet and space it's it is really cool looking yeah it's just and it's and it like really transitions us into the story well i thought so those were my two favorites what was your favorite i also had noted on page six the uh the translucent image of starfire that acts as the filter for the whole page i really liked that my other two favorites are both of toddler princess commander (laughs) when you first meet her and she is seeing her younger sister being born and just look at that evil toddler with those evil joan crawford eyebrows it really really amused me so here's here's one thing i will say and we'll get into this maybe a little bit more in sartorially speaking but both she and her sister look like childhood beauty pageant contestants oh that is that is the only thing i thought of when i saw them i was like john benet ramsey channeling yeah, period. Yeah, it's just I, the hair. I get that. There, the other one that I really liked of, uh, <laughs> she's not a toddler anymore. She's probably like eight or nine, but it is of Princess Commander again, and she has just beaten the shit out of her younger sister and said she laughed at me because I couldn't fly. I had to punish her. And Starfire said, "I didn't laugh, Father. She hates me because I can fly." I bet she did laugh at her because she couldn't fly. Kids that age are cruel. Yeah, but speaking of which, you then see Princess Commander gleefully looking at her ring-encrusted fists and saying, Hate you? I don't need to fly. I have all the power I need here in my fists. 
But just this little kid gleefully looking at her fist that she has just pummeled her sister with and saying, I have all the power I need in these fists. It was pretty cool. That kid is scary, man. She's seriously like murdering pets. I bet she wet the bed and started some fires. I don't think wetting the bed is necessarily in the same category. It's the sign of a psychopath. So psychopaths in general light fires, kill animals, and wet the bed growing up. Yeah, but you have to have all of those. Like, a lot of people just wet the bed. Yeah, and I mean, they're not yeah. psychopaths. I'm not saying that people who wet the bed are psychopaths. I'm okay, saying I, I wet that... the bed sometimes when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, I was going to say. don't anymore. <laughs> I haven't noticed that in our seven years <laughs> yeah. of marriage. Yeah, I've gotten over it. <laughs> but I mean, when I was a kid, I think when I was in camp, I, I peed in my sleeping bag. That must have been pretty scary. Yeah, I didn't tell anybody about it. So I just kept I just kept sleeping for a week in a sleeping bag that probably smelled like pee and just didn't say anything. Nobody said anything about it. And I thought nobody noticed, but probably just nobody wanted to say anything. Oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry. That's yeah, okay. I didn't like summer camp very much. I know you didn't. Yeah. 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 It seems really scary. I don't think I ever wet the bed. I don't remember that at all. Well, then you're not a psychopath, I guess. Congratulations. <laughs> you're not a psychopath just because you wet the bed summer oh, camp. Oh, why, why am I a psychopath? <laughs> You never did anything awful. That's not true. We can talk about that later. Every issue of Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, but also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? My Aqualad was Wally. Okay, why was Wally your Aqualad? Because at the very end of the story, he got everyone a drink of their choice including getting Raven a Perrier. Very good. I did note that, and I considered it when I was choosing my Aqualad, but I decided to go with Robin. Really? Yes. Why is Robin your Aqualad? Because of a little speech he gives at the end, which I thought was very sweet. It's genuinely moving, and and I enjoyed it, and I especially enjoyed it coming from him. It's his toast at the end. We spend so much time together, but usually we're going after the bad guys, always fighting. Well... We've had time to be with each other as real people. And you know, I really like all of you so much as friends. That's really sweet. And I enjoyed that. And also, I appreciated that he gave people warning when he was getting dressed and told them to continue talking. (laughs) Very polite of him. Conversely, who did you have as your speedy, the worst of Teen Titans? Okay, so... My initial impulse was to say Changeling. Okay. Because he's gross. He, he's kind of gross and creepy with Starfire again. Uh-huh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, but I actually picked Robin. I see. Because he was like, all of your emotions around your psychopathic sister don't matter. Okay, so you're talking about... At the very end, he's like, it's okay, you can relax. Stop having feelings. You, you don't need to be angry. Yeah. Yeah, this whole series has taken a pretty strong anti-anger stance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does come up. He says, hey, Corey, please, you're amongst friends. You don't have to get angry. You can relax. Uh, which is it? Like, I think if she'd relax, then she's angry. Like, if she... Yeah. I, I understand that sentiment. Uh, And yeah, like I said, it's the first issue. Cyborg definitely came out very strongly against anger. Mm -hmm. Anger seems to be the main emotion that Raven can't feel or everything goes bad. Beast Boy talked about how he he can't, he learned not to be angry anymore and that anger was bad. And now you get that at the end of this one as well. 
real real anti-anger lobby going on. I think anger can be a very useful emotion and is a perfectly valid one to have. We have a full reversal. I had Wally as my speedy this issue. Because he took so long to get dressed. Partly because he took so long to get dressed. But also because, you're right, he did bring out champagne for everybody to have a toast. Right before they started flying their plane back to New York. He had that champagne with him the whole trip. The traditional time to do that would be the night before at the campout. Like, why wouldn't you bust out the bubbly then? When this whole story should have taken place. Yes. But specifically, it is also kind of weird to me that they're 19 and they're drinking. I think that the drinking age in 1982 in perhaps in Arizona, I don't know nationwide, was 18. uh, Which is why Beast Boy can't have any. He has has a a Coca-Cola. He has a cola. But you're right. In a way, it was thoughtful for... Wally to break out the champagne toast at the end. And it is nice that they get to have a champagne toast at the end of their cookout. But it is very poor timing. And uh, you don't you don't give every you don't give the teenagers booze right before they hop in their vehicle for a flight. But you know what? What? Maybe Raven is driving. Maybe. Do you think that's why she's drinking Perrier? Because she's she's never said that she can't drink. That's why she's drinking Perrier because she's driving the vehicle. Well, in that case, I think that it is kind of a dick move on Wally's part to be like, hey, I brought champagne for everybody, Raven, you're driving. <laughs> I got you some water. It has bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Either way, Wally's my speedy. Fair enough. Sartorially speaking, we got a lot to talk about here. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about hair. Okay. That was definitely a note that I made. Specifically, most of my notes are about meander. <laughs> and the beard, like? The beard French braid and then the back of the hair space fire French braid. It's not a French braid. Look. It's like a, I forget what you call it. I but think it's a French braid. Okay, so I know you've had long Baby, hair for which of us knows more about French braiding? <laughs> me or you? I know you've had long hair for longer than I have recently. <laughs> and your hair is currently longer than mine. But I would like to share the fact that I know more about French braiding than you do. Fine. Although if you ever want a French braid, I'm happy to oblige. Good old American <laughs> braids are good enough for me. <laughs> So, uh, no, it's like a weird thing. You put, like, you put, it's like you put your hair in a pony and then you put, like, little bands over parts of your hair. I don't remember what it's called, but it's a real thing. It really looks like... That's not a French braid. Mm, Agree to disagree. I'm just gonna say I'm a French braid expert, but whatever. I think that it's because there's a different inker in this issue. I think if it was Romeo Tango, it would be clear that it was a French braid that he had in both his beard and in his back. It's nice because it says fancy in the front and fancy in the back. Nevertheless, it's fucking cool. And dude deserves major props for being able to do some really magical stuff with his... It's like kind of like a jet fuel headpiece thing. It's what their hair is, right? Yeah. Yeah. His his magic space fire. Mm -hmm. Magic space fire hair. Yeah. Pretty awesome. But he does also sometimes cover up his magic space fire hair. With a weird fucking king helmet with his initial on it. It's like he's getting ready to drive the Mach 5. It's a fucking bizarre space king helmet with a big M on it that you wear when you hold your second baby press conference. And uh, I fucking dug it. 
That is really cool. It's really weird, though. It's like, it does make his head look a lot taller. Well, it's like uh, it's like when you see somebody with dreads that has like the beanie on uh-huh, top of it. Uh-huh. It's just kind of bundled up in there. Mm-hmm. He's got one of those going on. It's a weird elongated helmet. And I kind of like the idea of kings wearing helmets with their initial on it. I think that's a perfectly valid look. I don't know why it's always got to be crowns. I think that would make sense. You live in space. It's dangerous out there. Wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. I really just for a second want to talk about the little girls looking like beauty pageant contestants. Those eyebrows, that hair. Yeah. The the disquieting sexualization. I mean, like, it's just, it was all there for me. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Really the hair, though. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was the eyebrows. It it was just like, oh, man, that toddler's so fucking evil. (laughs) Is that it? I think that's it. Lisa, I do have one further question I've got to ask you. Of course. Waput! In the year of our Lord, 1982, in the month of our Lord, September, what is Aqualad probably up to Lisa Waput? Well, you know, Aqualad is always striving to understand the world that he lives in. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics of the world he lives in. Mm-hmm. And in particular, he really wants to understand how families work. And so on September 22nd, he was filled with joy because he found a new window into family life in America. Oh, yeah? What was that? Family ties. (laughs) Ah, very nice. He really, he just, he fell in love, truly. With Justine Bateman, the way I did when I was a little kid? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Mallory Keaton had it going on, man. (laughs) Understandable. What, uh, what what do you think? I mean, aside from watching Family Ties, what was Aqualad up to? Oh, well, that did leave him a lot of the month free. And so he used part of it to... Well, Aqualad is a big fan of classic classic cinema. Oh. And he was actually... It's funny we've talked about Joan Crawford and her amazing eyebrows so much. Because Aqualad was a big fan of the movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. So he decided to go and visit the screenwriter of that movie in a little town called... Chowchilla, California, which is where that screenwriter, Henry Farrell, lived. Now, when he was out there, he saw somebody who looked kind of familiar to him from his old days in the Teen Titans. Now, two of the villains that he ended up tussling with back in those days were, of course, Ding Dong Daddy Dowd, Notorious Hot Rod Bandit and Hot Rod Builder, and the motorcycle villain, The Scorcher and his gang of motorcycle racers. You, you remember that. Of course, everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. Common knowledge. Mm-hmm. But those gangs had a common member. One, Fast Eddie Hill. Fast Eddie was a hot rod designer for Ding Dong Daddy Dowd. He also ended up riding motorcycles with the Scorcher. Although his heart was never really in it. But Aqualad saw this guy in this boat. And he's like, that looks like Fast Eddie. And it was Fast Eddie. And Eddie was never faster than he was on that day. When he broke the propeller boat speed record by going 227 miles per hour in a boat because Aqualad started chasing him. Oh! Now, eventually, he ran out of gas and Aqualad caught up to him, and it turned out that he was legitimately boat racing right then, and that was when he set the record. He had gone straight years ago, and they ended up having a very nice time hanging out in Chowchilla, California, and seeing Fast Eddie Hill break the propeller water speed record. Very nice. He's a very productive young man at Aqualad. He really is. And he helps people be their best. He does. By, by chasing them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Agreed. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. This was a real treat for me. Thank you for having me. You said you liked this issue better than the others. Yes. Would you consider it a romp? No. No, it really wasn't a romp. I promised you a romp. So here's what we're going to do. What? I don't know if it's going to be in the regular feeder as a Patreon-only episode, but we are going to get a true fucking romp under our belts. We are going to cover the treasury-sized Howard the Duck Defenders crossover that Steve Gerber wrote. And it's going to be a lot of fun, and I look forward to doing that. So listeners, look out for that in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to wear my shirt. Lisa has a Howard the Duck shirt (laughs) that she didn't realize was a Howard the Duck shirt when she purchased it. I think that is a wonderful idea. But we will see you then, and uh, we will see you, I will see you, I won't see you. That's not how these work. You will hear me next week, when I will once again be joined by my good for many things brother, Corey, who will hopefully have disentangled himself from that whole imbruglio. Is that how that word said, or am I thinking of Natalie imbruglia? I think imbruglia, I don't even know what imbruglio means. Eh, well, now I'm thinking of Natalie imbruglia. Imbruglia. I once saw Natalie and Brugley at the uh, Last Chance Summer Dance on the waterfront in Portland. She was playing with Def Leppard, Color Me Bad, and the Quad City DJs. It was quite a show. You're very old. Yes, that's true. Anyway, me and Corey will be back next week <laughs> with uh, an issue of The Defenders. And then, uh, yeah, something else will happen. Who knows what? Could be anything these days. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. Uh, If you would like to donate some money, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. And if you would like to leave us a a positive review, a positive review, don't leave us a negative review on iTunes or Stitcher or, I don't know, a bathroom wall, wherever. Just spread the word, man. We're all in this together. Let's do it. Let's make me more popular. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a good night or day or whatever. And they know it. When Beast Boy is being creepy about Starfire while she's flying around in the sky, mm-hmm. uh, Cyborg prods her, prods her and says, forget about it, kid. She only has eyes for dick. <laughs> Pretty funny. Yeah, and it, you think it's funny because he, you think he means penis. What? No. 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 You think penis jokes are funny. What? No. <laughs> A little bit.